Footprints in the Worm Garden, or Petting the Peeve. Owners of dogs will have noticed that if you provide them with food and water and shelter and affection, they will think you are God. Whereas owners of cats are compelled to realize that if you provide them with food and water and shelter and affection, they draw the conclusion that they are God. Christopher Hitchens No! shouted the little one. Her protest echoed through vaulting spandrels and off the sacred cathedral's stone ceiling. Intricate carvings in the walls of the cavernous space polyphonically reflected her voice. Decorum! complained someone from the caucus, followed by a low chattering chorus of offended gasps. Agitated, the little one continued, It doesn't make sense. Chief Caucus Cleric replied, Psalm 91, the laws shall be promulgated. He held up the bound copy of her father's will as evidence, material to his claim. The gravelly, bearded old man filed the will into the archives, slammed the vault door, then announced to the caucus, The ritual writing is complete. Now away, be done. Now away? A mob of drongos, said the little one, eliciting more cries for decorum. Drongos, she repeated, even louder. Pointlessly bound and meaningless rolls. All members of the caucus responded with a similar smoldering silence. Sit down, barked her sister. Shut up, she continued, slapping the little one's shoulder. The little one turned and looked up at a scowling snout, unable to remember a time when her big sister hadn't been a total bitch. She briefly considered obeying, but instead found herself compelled to stomp on her sister's toes. The little one turned and ran before her sister could even yelp. Mother called after her, but she was fast and set on putting her clan and the caucus far behind her. The little one ran up a capillary, leading to one of the passages heading back home. The main thoroughfare was a massive tunnel, lined with broken digging machines made of ancient woods and metals. The chiseled stone path beneath her feet had been polished smooth by a millennium of foot traffic. Above her, glowbugs clung to the ceiling. Their translucent insect bodies cast dim green light that reflected off the purple plastic sequins of her funeral gown, imbuing the path in front of her with a ghostly shimmer. As she ran, tears streamed down her face. Her father was dead, his will out of date. Public reading had made it law. Having been created before she'd even been birthed, she found no meaning in it. Mother, sister, and uncle had been accounted for but not the little one. And yet, the will would demand great change from her. Father's will had expressed his desire to have a successor in their clan compete in the League. Mother would likely soon send sister away to serve that role. The little one wasn't jealous, as she didn't care for competition or physicality. However, father loved everything about sport, insisted on constant training, and had groomed sister for fitness in the League. And fit she was. She had grown tall and strong. Her healthy, athletic legs were impressive. She was indisputably the highest-jumping flyer in Beta. With luck, her fitness would one day bring wealth and prestige to their clan. The little one's distress was rooted in fear she would be much less fit than her sister to whatever her new role was to be. 
The cavern of Riemann Beta Layer 715 was well into its night cycle. Electrics lining the cavern ceiling were off, leaving only lamp posts to light the little one's path. She arrived at the edge of a ditch, separating the thoroughfare from her neighbor's yard. She contemplated trespassing only briefly. In the moment, time saved by taking a shortcut was worth more to her than risk of potential future consequences. She hopped over the fence and landed in the worm garden. As she trudged a familiar path through moist dirt, a new, confusing tone of guilt reverberated within. If caught this time, her father wouldn't be around to punish her. She pulled herself up to the terrace her clan shared with their community, then gazed out over the dirt yards. Looking east, she took in the dazzling beauty of vast hills of bioluminescent mushrooms. Their giant caps, stalks, and veils shone biolight through night mists. Monochromatic green light arced westward over the irrigation streams, ending at charred desiccation chambers. Rock walls caked with soot from the incinerators. Stained black bounds of the ceiling intermittently outlined by blinking bugs. Beyond the farmlands, warm yellow lamplight of her village twinkled, diffused, and distant in darkness. There were thousands of caverns just like it in the Riemann Beta Cave complex, but this one was her home. The little one turned back to her burrow, grappled over to a window, then hoisted herself and a quantity of mud into her bedchamber. In darkness, she felt out then flipped the electric switch and flooded her room with light. She was startled to see her uncle nonchalantly leaning in the doorway. Sporting a puckish grin, he said, You're getting mighty fast, runt. Uncle Jower was father's brother. He lived far away, visiting only a few times each season, special occasions like harvest feasts, sporting events, and caucus gatherings. He likely gave chase after her exit from the cathedral, but had taken a different route through the tunnels. His longer legs had allowed him to arrive home first, but tightness of his ceremonial jersey around his abdomen highlighted labored breathing. His athletic days were deep in the past. I want to be alone, Uncle Jawa. Come now, he pleaded. There'll be cheesecake at the reception. He rubbed his belly and licked his lips. Runt was still upset. She crossed her arms, frowning at his failed attempt at taste persuasion. I was just like you back when I was an ankle biter, he said, confidently recounting. Smart, hot-headed, and disagreeable. Runt took it as a compliment, but remained firm in her stance. Seriously, uncle. All right, all right. Can't say I didn't try. He obediently backed away. But can I ask your opinion? Yep. So long as you let me be. Fair deal, he said, nodding in agreement, then posed his question. I think your mother's mad at me. Should I go back down home tonight? Runt didn't want to deal with mother and sister by herself. Don't go, Yip. Are you sure? I thought I was picking up a vibe. Runt rationalized her answer. She's upset about losing father, that's all. Please stay, if only for Brecky. Okay, will do. Thanks, Runt. I'll leave you be. Walking into the hall, he looked back over his shoulder and said, If you need me, I'll be in my wagon at the end of the line. Runt brushed mud off her feet. She slunk out of her ceremonial gown, turned off the electrics, then curled up in bed. Father's passing ceremony had been exhausting. Wishing the sad occasion would end while dreading the future, she closed her eyes and prayed sleep would quickly come. 
Runt's nose twitched, alerting her to the smell of a familiar cooked recipe. A strange dream about digging upward faded as convection winds of Beta Layer 715 delivered a pleasant floral mushroom scent. With a medley mingling in her nostrils, she opened her eyes to the electric brights of her village shining through her window at full morning glow. Consciousness asserted itself. Runt went down to her clan dining chamber. Sister and mother were already up. Brecky was sizzling on stovetop. Slipped in. Tuck it out from your tantrum, taunted sister. Sprout. Runt, intercepted mother. Don't even start. Runt yawned and sat to her big sister's left at their circular dining table. You embarrassed me in front of the entire caucus, said mother. And this morning, Mr. Corzo told me he found footprints in his worm garden. Again. Denying it was pointless. Runt frowned, then put some grub into her mouth and chewed obnoxiously. Mother went on. I'll forgive your outburst. It was a hard day for us all. But how many times do you have to be told to stay out of the garden? Uncle Jower walked into the dining room. Good day, he said. Welcoming his arrival as a timely reprieve, Runt replied, Good day, Uncle Jawa. Good morning, said Sprout. Mother didn't return his greeting. It was unlike her to not be cordial. Uncle Jawa's suspicions were correct. Runt had been too preoccupied with her own feelings to see it the prior evening. Mother was indeed quite angry with him. Uncle Jawa glanced at Runt and widened his eyes, a light-hearted look of, I told you so. Runt regretted denying his intuitions and convincing him to stay. Mother was insufferable when she was angry. Uncle Jower brought his hands together in a blessing, bowed his head, and said, Times of change. Raising his hands in surrender, he continued, Tist our resolve. Psalm 52. Don't quote scripture at me, barked Mother. Hostile, but not beyond hospitality, she proceeded to prepare a plate for him. Uncle Jower sat to Runt's left, tight-lipped but grinning aloofly. He reached across the table, picked some grub out of Sprout's bowl, then playfully winked. Taking on a solemn tone, he said, Us four need to talk about our roles. Mother took a seat in Father's chair. You have no say here, Jower. I know, he frowned, soberly nodding concession to an unspoken point. I forfeited that long ago, but I still care, and I have something to offer. What's your pitch? And don't you dare ditch dung at me. Uncle Jower straightened up, making a show of adjusting his posture. We all know his will was outdated. Gonna be trouble ahead if we'd satisfy the ritual requirements. Such dry dirt flows from this mush mouth, said Mother, her thin layer of patience boiling away. Just out with it already. Uncle Jower took a breath, brushed his nose, then said, I know agents down in Delta that can get Sprout a contract jumping in the leg, starting next season. These agents, you know. Mother looked down her nose. Do they know you? Of course, old friends. 
from my competitive jumping seasons. Your old friends, do they like you? That's what friends are for. And how much do you owe them? Calm now, Gloria. Why so hostile? I just want to help. Runt and Sprout shared a sisterly knowing glance. Their mother was more than just upset about their father's passing. Her anger toward their uncle was rooted in something much deeper. Whether or not ye dig me, Sprout is among the best jumpers in Beta or Gamma. Her membership in the league will satisfy both spirit and letter of his will. I can make that happen. He raised his hand, showing off his almost 34-season-old commemorative league ring. Engraved gold, set with a rare black glass solitaire, it was Uncle Jower's most prized artifact. Evidence he had once been a champion. What's in it for you? asked Mother. Nothing, answered Uncle Jower, quickly adding, Aside from insurance, Choilin's wishes be realized. Mother's brows furrowed. She squinted, scrutinizing him with a silent scowl. Sprout and I will make the trip down the Delta. Runt will take over my role as keeper for the seasons were gone. Mother still said nothing. Answering her silence, Uncle Jower asked, What's the alternative? Ye three all end up toiling until you cock it, like toiling? I warn you, Jawa. Mother paused, baring her teeth in disdain. Blaspheme his name again, and never more will you set foot in this borough. I'm sorry, Gloria. I didn't mean that. I just want what's best for Chai. He stopped himself, then tried starting again. I just want what's best for my brother's clan. I... I... He trailed off, head level lowering from supplication to shame. Mother turned away from him and got up to tend stove. Runt seized opportunity provided by the awkward silence. Can't things just stay the same? We shape circumstances through our way. But change is inevitable, Runt, Uncle Jower explained. But I want to stay in the choir, replied Runt, recalling joy of being one of 73 howlers in Beta 715. She relished the sense of purpose singing brought to her. Mother returned to the table. She shifted in father's chair, trying to find comfort. Her lips twitched and her eyelids narrowed. Frowning kindly at Runt, softly she said, My darling little one, we can't afford the choir anymore. But choir doesn't cost anything, replied Runt. What I mean is, with your father no longer digging, you will need to work too. Your clan needs you. None of my friends work. Not yet, but they will. You just have to individuate a bit sooner than them. Mother reached out, sympathetically rested her hand behind Runt's ears, then continued. Your uncle is right. I'm sorry. This is how it has to be. But why? Runt pleaded. Because it is our way, answered Mother. That's not a raisin, said Runt. And if it is a raisin, it's a stupid raisin. Mother took her hand off Runt's head and sighed. She did not take kindly to insulting the caucus. They had come upon a volatile impasse. A turbulent rift of silence expanded between them. Attempting to diffuse tension, Uncle Jower looked at Sprout and asked, What do you think? Sprout tilted her head, then listlessly said, I am 
Damn good jumping. Yeah, you boothhead. But what do you want? Demanded Runt. What we want is irrelevant. Mother snapped. Her voice took on a rote character. We can only function as a collective. Each of us serving our individual role. No one more important than anyone else. We all must do things we do not want. We must sacrifice our present for the gift of the future. Mother paused, perhaps deciding upon which piece of scripture to use as evidence, then added, Psalm 491, those who serve shall be served. Religious replies always killed conversation. Runt began to pout. Your mother's right, said Uncle Jower. Service is a stable path through change. Psalm 60. Psalm 61, corrected Mother. Right you are, my mistake, said Uncle Jower. Runt breathed shallowly, flustered that both of them had resorted to refrains from scripture. Last season, Bale's second cousin Beckler opted not to dig, haul, or sort for his clan. Today he's doing great, howling way down in Gamma 1253. Runt, those roles are unstable and short-term. As Psalm 237 says, the exceptions prove the rule, replied Uncle Jower. First, I don't think you're interpreting that psalm correctly. And second, there are lots of exceptions. For instance, I heard that- Crikey, said Sprout, rolling her eyes. Give it a rest and just enjoy your brekkie, Runt. Don't interrupt me, sis. Runt shook her fist and hissed, threatening an unspecified retribution. Such threats were not uncommon. The sisters had not been getting along well in the past couple seasons. Sprout responded by flicking some grub, bouncing it off Runt's nose. Runt growled, baring her teeth. She reached out and yanked Sprout's hair. Sprout twisted Runt's outstretched arm, then put her in a headlock. The two sisters engaged in combat, one pulling, one squeezing. Let go of my hair, and I'll let go of your head, said Sprout. Both of you, lay off it. Now, shouted Mother. Runt released her grip, and Sprout pushed her away. Runt stood up, flipped her bowl of grub, then hollered, I hate you, Sprout! Feeling tears starting to well up, she turned and ran to her bedchamber. Uncle Jower lived on layer 733, close to the bottom of the beta superstructure. In the few times Runt had visited, the layer had not left much of an impression. She found stratum composition to be similar to her home layer. Its terrain was much less foreign compared to the slabs of shale and exotic crystal caverns in the gamma superstructure. Villages inside every cavern on every layer of beta had been constructed with the same grid pattern, copied from ancient Alphan architects. Layout and infrastructure were identical. Subsurface rivers drove turbines which powered the electrics. Flowing water collected in reservoirs which fed streams and coursed through valleys nestled between watershed hills lined with groves of nourishing fungi. Steep sloping hills peaked halfway to electric-lined ceiling. Between lighting support scaffolding and above the streams dangled mineral stalactites like rows of massive stone teeth. Only difference Runt could discern was 733's surfaces were a slightly lighter shade of mudstone, or maybe it was that 715's electrics were tuned to a warmer temperature. 
Their slow, spiraling descent from 7.15 to 7.33 took a few hours. Uncle Jower had used his sad familial occasion as an opportunity to haul a few things between layers. As Runt helped pull his wagon of recent acquisitions through the transport tunnels, she apologized for denying his perceptions. Sorry about Mother. I had no idea she was angry at you. He smiled and raised his eyebrows, suggesting there was nothing for him to forgive. Now worries, little wine. It was my fail. I should have known. His jovial tone was a comforting break from Mother's relative austere demeanor. Besides, without your invite, I wouldn't have been able to deliver my pitch about you becoming pavekeeper. In Runt's mind, her curiosity quickly took up the space previously occupied by her guilt. Why is it anyone bothers to keep paves? Now that's a question I've noodled over for ages. According to the caucus histories, we've always regarded paves as sacred animals. It's long-standing tradition to celebrate them as givers of good luck and fortune. Runt was familiar with that part. Scripture says they are imbued with a forgotten magic. Uncle Jower skeptically squinted and whispered, Between you and me, not sure I buy the caucus line on that. He winked conspiratorially, having shared a tiny blasphemy. Whatever the reason, our ancestors came to keep them as pets. A shared blessing and responsibility. A familial bond. Paves became a living totem of clan strength. Our reverence for them directly led to the great prosperity for the ancient diggers. So why don't all clans have one? At some point, I reckon each clan did. Problem is, although Paves live something like 30 times longer than you or I, they rarely reproduce. And so, clans became many, while paves became few. Reverence for them only increased. Today, pilgrims pursue popular paves to pay tribute. Uncle Jower excitedly raised his voice back up. Supply and demand, little one. Magical creatures are not. That's probably why we keep them. A properly kept pave can be a significant source of wealth. A pave keeper's role is pivotal. Some paves have keeper custody chains of 20 or more generations. How old were you when you became keeper? I was 27 seasons young. You've got to be what now? 11? 13. Corrected Runt. Crikey, time's a flyer. 136 seasons before you were birthed, our clan's pave was awarded by the leg as prize for the 300th Seasonal Jumpin' Championship. Father used to talk about that a lot. Rightly so. It was an important event in the history of our clan. Unfortunately, our prize pave turned out to be a bit of a lemon. Still, it was then your great-great-great-grandpup became our clan's first keeper. Chain of custody then went down our line to May. And now it's your turn. Runt did not find comfort in the idea all of history was culminating upon her assuming this new role. She listened distractedly to Uncle Jower recount his greatest jumping victories for the remainder of their trip. Upon their arrival at his estate, Uncle Jower sang, Home again, home again. Runt ignored his off-key tune, but admired the artful masonry of his abode. It was much more grand than her own diggings. 
He opened the large round door to his burrow, then said, You go on in, make any chamber on the second floor you own. I'm going to haul this wagon to market, see if I can't turn a profit. I'll give you particulars of your new caper duties when I get back. Thanks, Uncle Jawa. Ow. And can you do me a favour? Sure. Clean the rotunda for me. Toss out everything on the floor. We won't be needing any of that junk anymore. Except, of course, the pave and its tank. Runt unpacked her things in an empty room on the second floor. Then she descended a steel staircase to the basement. As she entered the sublevel, she could feel temperature rise and humidity increase. A musty smell permeated the air. Runt walked down a dark hallway and entered the ceremonial rotunda. The chamber stunk with a thick musk. Its stone-domed ceiling and rounded walls glistened damp with dew, floor filled with various stacks of trash. Runt couldn't see any order to the arrangement. The squalid space was cluttered chaos. Thoughts about her environment were bluntly muted when she saw the peeve. Between some boxes, banking the wall in the back half of the room, sat a stone pedestal. Atop the pedestal, eight grungy glass panes surrounded it. Runt had only met her clan's peeve once as an infant, during her induction ritual. Before she was old enough to speak, let alone old enough to remember. From a distance, she looked upon the peeve again for the first time. It appeared as though a pile of pale, rotting flesh rags had coalesced into a living loaf. Its bulbous form lacked structure, somehow simultaneously bloated and deflated, like a binker ball with a leak. Its loose, limbless body took the shape of its tank. The peeves' lower bulk mashed sparse brown fur against the glass. Skin between mangy patches was waxy, moribund and almost translucent. Parts of it were coated in a thin layer of black, iridescent slime. At its upper half, gleaming oily splotches gave way to gray, leathery skin, drooping over the open top of its octagonal tank. The sickening specimen was no bigger than a baby. Despite having no eyes and not moving, it still conveyed a quality of being. It was not merely alive, but also seemed to possess a presence. Runt found the chamber disgusting and the peeve utterly repellent. She thought if the peeve's looks were an indication, being a keeper would require great control over her gag reflex. Unable to study it further without retching, Runt tuned her attention back to the room. Trash filling the rotunda was comprised of found objects and unfinished projects, tangled scraps of wire and moldy strips of cloth useless piles of odds and ends. Uncle Jower fancied himself a hauler, but with his attention divided between keeping and hauling, he had instead become a hoarder. Runt began to clear the biggest stacks. She dutifully put most cruft into a wagon, then made several trips to the disposal pit at the end of the lane. Gathering up smaller piles, she sang an old song Mother used to sing to her. Trees 
Singing was Runt's favorite activity. It did not require equipment or supplies. It resulted in no residues and left no artifacts. It was the least material form of art and the most free mode of expression. As Runt sang her song, she detected a faint rhythm. A thumping that started low, but gradually became louder and more distinct. She stopped singing, becoming sure she was hearing something other than her own voice. She found silence. A shiver of fear sent hair on the back of her neck straight. Knocking over a box of trash, Runt spun around to face the peeve. It remained motionless inside its tank. Wow, Runt, said a voice, startling her. She turned toward the rotunda's entrance. Uncle Jower glanced over the decluttered room, mouth agape in amazement. Great job! She smiled, relieved to have found cause for her brief flash of fear. Oh, hello, Uncle Jower. Crikey, little one. You cleaned up. Proper. How'd this place get so frowsy anyways? Uncle Jower produced a silly smile. Things accumulate. You never know, hour or when, something might be of some use. I suppose that's true. Thanks for clearing out all that old stuff. Now, let's get you up to speed on being a keeper proper. Where do we start? Uncle Jower paused, stroking his beard, as though it were the first time he considered the question. Well, I reckon fading is top task. What does it ate? One bucket of worms every 23 cycles. Not do again far. His eyes bounced, silently mouthing numbers. He finished aloud. Seven. Do again in seven cycles. Only once every 23 cycles? What does it drink? Yep, and just nothing else. Doesn't drink at all. Uncle Jower gesticulated, waving his hands and wiggling his fingers about. Gets all the moisture it needs from the air. Runt's curiosity led her toward the obvious question, but she struggled to formulate it. What on I to, um, poop it? Uncle Jower beamed his comedic grin, then leaned in as if imparting forbidden knowledge. Few non-keepers know this fact, but paves never poop. Amazing, said Runt, unable to fathom how such a thing could be. How often do I wash it? It's self-cleaning proclaimed Uncle Jower, waving his hand in an elegant flourish over top the grungy tank. Runt forced herself to look at the peeve again, then grimaced with disgust. It sure doesn't look like it. Yep, I know. Your grandpap was ashamed whenever anyone outside the clan saw it. Nobody who ever did see it willingly would twice. Never been a pretty sight, not to mention the smell. So that's all there is to being a keeper? Dump a bucket of worms into its tank every 23 cycles? Asked Runt. Uncle Jower smiled, then said, If it were only that, I'd have more time for all in. He shook his head. Now, the main work is you have to massage it five times each cycle. He reached his hand into the tank, then gently pressed his palm against the peeve, brushing downward over a patch of brown fur. The hairy lump of flesh shifted, pushing itself against Uncle Jower's hand, emitting a barely audible sound. It was purring. Say, just pit it like this until it stops moving, 
Easy as that. If you get good, it will only take a quick sec. You can skip a day-night cycle every now and then, but you'll have to work that much harder the next time. He continued to pet it until it stopped undulating beneath his palm. In addition to five massages per cycle, every 40 cycles, you have to squeeze the grain crane out of its oxtoproglia. Uncle Jower pointed to a shelving alcove filled with empty, transparent cylindrical containers. The crane dealers at market pay prettily for full tubes. If you don't drain the crane, it gets infected. And if it gets infected, it will get infected. Uncle Jower tapped on the tank with his championship ring. See that purpley hole? Runt reluctantly put her face close to the glass. Yep. That's the oxtoproglia. All you need to do is grab one of those glass tubes, reach in the tank, and push the tube's opening over that hole. With a light touch, harder you push, less grain crime comes out. After you've collected the crime, cork the tube and place it in the icebox. Um, okay. Runt squinted, comprehending the how, but not understanding the why. Sounds more complicated than it is. There are a few other things your grand taught me, but over time I've found them to be unnecessary. So that's basically it. You're a caper now. I don't feel any different, said Runt. Psalm 38. Responsibility doesn't change you overnight, he replied. Anything I should repeat? Seems pretty straightforward. Thanks, Uncle Jawa. No worries. I'll be heading up a few layers tomorrow to bury some bezo. Be back in six cycles to collect Sprout. Then she and I leave for the rim and descend the twist to Delta. Don't worry. Before we leave, I'll show you the oxtoproglial extraction. Next morning, Uncle Jower left and Runt began her role as a full-time keeper. Mother and Sprout were 18 layers and several hours away. There was nobody to ask for help. She was on her own. Being a keeper was her responsibility. The first peeve massage before brekkie took only 10 minutes. Second session before lunch, even less time. Next few cycles were a breeze. Runt found the difficulty of the job wasn't in the task itself, but in adjusting to the life rhythms of another being, and in finding what to do with time in between. But after 15 full petting sessions, Runt still didn't feel like any more of a keeper. On the fourth cycle, out of boredom, she cleaned the rotunda completely. In between petting the peeve, she cleared the remaining junk and hauled it all to the disposal pit. Completely free of clutter, the chamber was much more airy and open. She tested the acoustics by singing again. quality of sound in the room was too grimy, and it lacked balance. 
Rut pushed the heavy stone pedestal the peeve was perched upon to the rotunda's center. Then she swept the floor and polished every surface. She tuned up the electrics and was delighted to find, beneath the layer of mold and grime on the ceiling, she had revealed an abstract green and blue glass Rococo mosaic. She admired it, smiling, projecting a ping of pride in the product of her work, having made the rotunda pretty. A negating phase of thought then brought her down. Perhaps the place only looked appealing compared to the foul and stagnant peeve at the center. Runt tuned down the electrics, then laid on the clean stone floor. Staring up at pretty glass tiles, she began to sing again. This time, the rotunda perfectly bounced her voice back to her. She had never heard her own singing so clearly, as though it originated someplace outside herself. Resonance shifts she generated tickled her ears. She closed her eyes and projected loudly and proudly, singing with all of her heart. Runt loved to sing. She was in love with singing. Singing was love. Her voice became a pulse. Pulse became a surge. Surge, a stream. Stream began to flow. Time stretched and blended. Her song amplified itself into a standing wave. Beneath her voice, an undertone deeply rumbled, filling gaps in her melody, augmenting her rhythm. A beautiful, throbby, basing hum harmonized with her. It was faint when she had heard it before. She had eagerly dismissed it as coincident with her uncle's footsteps, but here it was again, louder, clearer. Something in the room was generating sound. Something other than her was moving. Fear dug in, causing her to open her eyes and stop singing. The chamber went silent. She sat up and looked toward the peeve. It was in the same place as before, motionless and inert. Her face went hot with shame for again letting her imagination run away. It was time again to pet the peeve. She hesitated to reach her hand into the tank, despite knowing there was no point dwelling upon childish fear. You are a caper, she said to herself, willing her hand to obey. She gently rubbed a patch of brown fur. Its fine hairs were soft as silk. The strange animal quavered beneath her hand, tickling her palm. As she stroked it, she continued her song, paying close attention to the peeve. Runt didn't know what tulips were, but they sounded like pretty things. She raised her voice, projecting deeper. The peeve's subtle, almost inaudible purring started to loudly rumble in sync, 
it was indeed joining her in song. Runt's fear fled, and in its place she again found her curiosity. As far as she knew, Peeves weren't capable of communication. Before she could further contemplate the mystery, the peeve jolted, then contracted inward. Interrupting her melody, it piercingly honked. <coughs> the horrible sound caused her to jump backward. Her fear returned with full force. The peeve trembled, then loudly squawked again, <coughs> twitching as though it were in pain. It repeated its cry three more times. <coughs> And then the peeve went still. Runt had not been told about this, and it definitely seemed like something she should have been told. With barely any time to recover from her shock, the peeve seized, contracting inward again. This time, it did not squeak or honk. The peeve surged vertically, and its internals spilled up out of its oxtroproglia, unfurling against gravity. Her stomach churned, as the peeve turned itself inside out. Runt stood frozen, cataleptic with horrified awe, watching a coiling mess of guts climb themselves toward the ceiling. Its innards fanned outward, across the glass mosaic, twisted tightly, then inflated with incredible speed. A black ooze coating the internals ejected in all directions. Sludge spackled newly cleaned ceiling tiles and wall, undoing Runt's work. The skin sack then sucked its guts back inside as fast as they had been expelled with a sickening baritone slurp. Then, like nothing had happened, the peeve returned to being immobile. Runt managed to close her mouth and eyes, but had otherwise been thoroughly slimed. Her face and hair had been glooped in goo that smelled like greasy, rotting meat. Runt ran, first to the garden hose, then to the transport spiral back home. Mother! Mother! Runt rushed into the burrow and was greeted by her concerned-looking parent. She told her story about the singing, the seizing, and the sliming. When Runt finished venting, Mother sat back smiled, then said, Well, that explains your putrid smell. Runt frowned, finding the reply unhelpful. When I was a kid, I knew someone who knew someone that saw a pave sneeze. Sneeze? That didn't seem like a sneeze. Did you do anything different that time before petting? I swept and rearranged the room. Well... Maybe some dust in the air caused it to sneeze. I did get a little carried away with cleaning. Runt sighed, satisfied the explanation fit. Your uncle's always been a scavenger. His place being a mess doesn't surprise me. Runt found herself soothed, looking into pretty blue eyes as her mother recounted recent caucus gossip. She listened silently while ruminating on her responsibility. Glad to be home, but disappointed in herself. She had not behaved as a proper keeper. Darling, eat in and stay the night. But you must go back tomorrow. I know, it's my fail. Mother plugged her nose, then said, First, though, 
I want you to go take a bath and change the sand after you're done. Runt passed Sprout in the hall on her way to the bath chamber. Ew, you smell like spoiled gank's milk, said Sprout. Shut your gab, growled Runt. Freshly cleaned, Runt joined Mother and Sprout around the dining table. Their circle felt incomplete. She missed her father. They filled the emptiness of his absence with happy memories, reminiscing about their trip down to Gamma three seasons prior. Runt and Sprout had got along better back then. The clan had gone on pilgrimage. Mother, father, and the sisters traveled to the rim, where warm thermal gusts blew upward to Alpha, then cooled and drifted down the tributary tunnels and capillaries, through the caverns of Beta, Gamma, and Delta, to the deepest metallic layers of Epsilon, before being heated and pushed back up to circulate again. Their clan descended the twist, a narrow path carved into the sheer face of the rim, opposite the vast, sprawling darkness of the void. Father had explained the other side was out of sight, and the bottom had not yet been reached. A ragged rope barrier separated Runt's clan from the edge of an immense oblivion that made her previously sheltered existence seem small. It was the only place she had been in her whole life that did not produce an echo. Runt's memories of her childhood curiosity reminded her of more recently uncovered unknowns. Mother, why is it you don't like Uncle Jawa? It's not that I don't like him. He's a member of our clan and the caucus. It's just, having known him for so long, I know what to expect and what not to. That's not really an explanation, said Sprout. Jawa is a bit of a larrikin, added Mother. What's a larrikin? asked Run. Many things. Mostly, it means he knows what the right thing is, but he doesn't always do it. Mother gave Runt a nagging glance. He takes shortcuts. You're not answering the question, Mother, said Sprout. Evasion failing, Mother let out a sigh, accepting she owed her daughters an answer. A few seasons before you were born, Sprout, Uncle Jow tried to sell the pave to your father. She donned a scornful, disappointed expression. Your father rightly declined the sacrilegious offer. Such a transaction would have brought shame to our clan. Why would he try to sell it? asked Sprout. His leg career was long over, and your grandpup's pissing forced him to move back up from Gamma to Beta to inherit the role of Keeper. He was not dealing well with the change. Nonetheless, your father gave Jow a loan, helping to help him dig a different direction. Ivan were not expecting repayment. It was not a smart investment. Did father regret doing that? Asked Run. No. Your father was a good bloke. More fan of sport than of sense, but a good bloke. Unknowns illuminated by mother's answer, the discussion lightened to more happy memories. A comforting, cathartic conversation followed. With bedtime approaching, Sprout spouted a strange statement. Run, I'll come back down with you to Uncle Jowers tomorrow. We'll spend a cycle together before I leave, and I can give that pave a rub for luck. Runt found the statement unusual on two levels. First, it was unlike Sprout to want to spend time with her, and second, expressing interest in the metaphysical part of clan tradition 
was even more out of character. Runt rolled her eyes. Suit yourself, sis. It's super gross. An excellent idea, exclaimed Mother. She added a line from scripture. A tisk taken by two is half as taxing. Psalm 14, 21. She reflected upon the wisdom, then finished. I'll pick your snacks. Next morning, Mother bid her daughters good journey. Sprout would soon be more distant from her home than she had ever been. Runt watched her sister hug her mother longer and stronger than usual. Runt turned on the electrics in the rotunda. The peeve appeared to have thicker fur than the night before. Its bald spots were less pale. It was less sickly, not as much of an ugly thing. Looks about as bad as you described said Sprout, as she assisted Runt in cleaning the peeve gunk off the walls and ceiling. Runt proceeded to demonstrate her primary responsibility as keeper. At first, the peeve was unresponsive to her petting, but after a few minutes, it started purring like it had before, undulating against her palm. As Runt pet the peeve, she explained the oxterproglial extraction, when she was done, Sprout said, Yuck! This one is smaller and not as hairy as the one we saw on pilgrimage. Pondering more deeply, she asked, What must our lives seem like to such long-lived beings? Runt dug for thoughts, but no answer came to mind. Instead, she struck upon the remnants of a lingering curiosity. All this effort stupidly poured into such a pointless animal. Why do you think our clan bothers to cape the tradition? Sprout answered, I don't know. Doesn't make sense to me. At least it's not difficult. Gross, but easy. Runt reflected on the rare moment of total sisterly agreement. Ending the harmonious silence, Sprout asked, Runt, you want to come out to a concert with me this evening? Runt and Sprout made the trek from Uncle Jower's burrow to Gold Digger Arena. Why is the concert so far away from the village? asked Runt. Sprout pulled a comb out of her pouch and brushed her hair as she walked. J-Day Arena's a free space. Not in use by the leg anymore. I have foggy memories of a caucus trip. Did we spectate a jumping tourney there? Yep. A few seasons after you were born. Surprised you remember it at all. Barely do myself. Why does the lag no longer use it? It's old. Corner remote. Very warm. Very damp. The lag uses newer venues, constricted at deeper layers. More lavish. Higher capacity. More accessible. Better ventilation. Is it one of those places reclaimed by riffraff and outcasts? Yeah, something like that. Runt and Sprout passed under a stone archway, through a portcullis, then walked down a hall to a sound-dampening antechamber. An enormous rock statue of a shovel set into the wall loomed above them, dedicated to the ancestral diggers who had carved out the space. They passed the statue and entered the arena. Strobing electrics tuned to extreme hues, and a humid wall of noise greeted them. The racket overwhelmed Runt. She plucked her ears and made a screwed-up face at Sprout, 
who appeared to be enjoying the oral assault. It was dissonant and lacked melody. But as the sharpness of her surprise dulled, Runt began to recognize the cacophony as music. Newell line stairs spiraled vertically at all three corners of GD Arena's triangular space. The stairs led to several upper layers with balconies overlooking the arena floor. The outcroppings, decorated with stone grotesques carved in an ancient style. The floor was lined with faded white paint of boundaries from jump seasons long past. In the center was a trench filled with people. All of them were uniquely adorned in fashions Runt found to be foreign. They bounced to the beat, jumping and rolling, forty or fifty of them violently slamming and tumbling into one another. What in the heck is this? said Runt, drowned out by noise. Sprout pointed to the ground between them. Runt watched her sister mouth the words, Meet me here if you get lost. I'm going in. Sprout hopped into the trench and began jumping and tumbling with the rest of them. Runt unplugged her ears. She took in the odd music, lighting, and the spectacle before her. The explosive expression of the dance matched the music, bodies bouncing back and forth, spinning and twisting rhythmically. A graceful turbulence. Controlled chaos. A choir of five produced the sonic blasts. Each member appeared to specialize at a separate task. One played a massive gong. Another a series of smaller drums. One blew a horn. Two others howled different parts. All of them amplified, creating a sustained electric roar. Runt let the sound spill over her. The complexity of its presence soaked in. She was unsure if she liked it, but it was certainly new and exciting. After a few minutes, Sprout exited the trench, panting, a total sweaty mess. Runt wondered why she had bothered to brush her hair on the way there. Sprout beamed a smile at Runt. This is great. She wiped some sweat off her brows and caught her breath. I've been wanting to see this band play for a long time. It's something, said Runt, tone more judgmental than content. Seemingly picking up on her little sister's polite disinterest, Sprout said, You don't have to like it. It's not for everyone. What do you call the dance? Ha! <laughs> it's not a dance. That's the scrum. Some call it the collider. I suppose the name doesn't matter. It's a regional thing. Whatever you call it, it's a way to get your frustrations out. Feels good. Bouncing into others, being jolted. You forget your role. You forget your worries. I know it looks damn, but it's a relief when you're in there. All you have is your body and the music. Runt felt the warmth of understanding. That's how I feel when I'm singing. She smiled, once again finding common ground with her big sister. You do this often? About a dozen times before. I had no idea this was even a thing. Might want to try it when you're older. If you went in now, probably just face catching elbow. Yeah, no thanks. Too physical for me. Runt shrugged. But thank you for bringing me out. Together they listened to the music, watching the scrum roil and writhe.
Sprout introduced her friends. Ron, this is Dale, Eisen, and Domchak. Runt smiled shyly. Howdy. Dell was the horn player. He referred to his choir of five as the Bunyips. Almost as tall as Sprout, but a bit more scrawny and scruffy. Around his neck he wore a beaded collar, and his ears were pierced with shards of colored glass. Chuffed and confident with his new and exciting style, Runt thought, in a certain light, he looked like a pretty thing. Eason and Dumchak were an older couple. They too had unique adornments. Eason had a kind face, her long, blonde hair tied back with red and gold ribbons. Dumchak was short and wide, wearing his green beard bound in a baroque braid. They exchanged pleasantries while the next choir set up, then mingled, enjoying the rest of the concert together. The fermented milk cart reservoirs emptied as the show went on. The night cycle party was winding down. People had begun to go home. Ron, I know you have caper duties. You go ahead without me. I'm going to stay a little while longer with my friends, said Sprout. Okay, replied Runt. She turned to leave, smiled at Sprout's friends, and said, It was nice to meet you. Love you, Runt, said Sprout, uncharacteristically affectionate. Runt thought it must be the milk talking. Waving goodbye, she said, You're lame, sis. As Runt entered the main tunnel of 733, she was overcome with a nagging thought. Her sister had been acting strange even before getting drunk on milk. Runt became certain a truth was being hidden from her. Curiosity turned her around. She headed back, intent on settling this slight. The arena had emptied of people by the time she returned. The electrics in the main cavern were off, but Runt recognized her sister's voice echoing from one of the balconies. Standing in the shadows of the darkened hall, Runt peered toward the balcony. She saw Dell put his arms around her sister. Sprout did not struggle with him. Instead, they shared a long, loving look that Runt recognized as romance. They rubbed their noses together and in unison said, Now come, no oble, no res. Now come, no oble, no res. Runt wondered if the repetition was lyrics or chant, but did not recognize the words. Ready to go? We'll leave tonight, said Dell. Behind Runt clattered the sound of footsteps. It was Eason and Dumchuck, and they had seen her. Thought you went home, Runt, asked Eason. Runt stammered. I, uh... Dumchuck yelled out onto the balcony. Hey, gang, look who was spying from the hole. Dell and Sprout ceased to their embrace. Eason and Dumchuck ushered Runt out of the shadows, onto the balcony. Dell looked at Runt, then back at Sprout, and asked, What's Chase Dale doing here? Runt, how much did you hear? asked Sprout. Runt channeled Uncle Jower's aloofness and said, oh, I had enough, then smiled smugly. Dell grinned askew, then squinted, scrutinizing Runt. Is she on the level? She's my sister, Delano. Sprout shuffled her feet, then crossed her arms. I want to talk with her in privy for a quick sec. Dell, Eason, and Dumchuck left them alone on the balcony. Sprout sat and motioned for her sister to join her. 
Runt stayed standing. What the heck is going on, Sprout? Sprout answered with a question. Know how they say, those who serve shall be served? Yeah, yeah. Psalm 491. It is our way. And it might be true. But you once asked me what it is I want. And it's not that. When did you decide this? I started thinking about it first time father got sick. Why didn't you tell me? You're not exactly easy to talk to, Runt. Sprout finally was saying what she truly wanted. Runt understood this, but her face still conveyed confusion. The sentiment did not match her mental image of her big sister. Sprout pointed toward the ceiling. I'm going up. Topmost layers of Alpha. Runt gasped. That's nowhere. The never-never. There's nothing and nobody up there. Furphy, said Sprout. Not anymore. There's a lot of people doing new and exciting things. Looking upward, she said longingly. Maybe I even go topside. Runt's eyes widened. The surface? You're hopping mad. You shouldn't do that. It is forbidden. Thinking out loud, Sprout dug for a deeper explanation. Shouldn't what should be determined by what is, not by what used to be? Sprout frowned as her own explanation failed her. There's probably a better way to say it, but I think I get what you're trying to say, said Runt. I have to go, said Sprout, clarifying. Digging, sorting, hauling, howling, keeping, or jumping. None of it is for me. Runt found herself at a loss for thought. She responded with a scriptural refrain. Your conscience will convict you. Psalm 13. She surprised herself with her religious reply. Yeah, it's a good one, said Sprout with a dismissive inflection, giving up on the conversation. Rising to leave, she said, When you hit your growth spurt, come up and find me. I love you, Runt. Runt arrived a bit late for the petting session. The peeve rested in its tank at the center of the room. It looked more healthy than when she last saw it, just over five hours before. It was somehow renewed, more vibrant, albeit still incredibly disgusting. Runt began to pet it. Once she had it purring, she sang. The peeve went still. Runt ended her song and ceased petting. Thoughts of change boiled in Runt's brain as she laid in her new bedchamber, awaiting the arrival of sleep. First her father had died, a new role had been thrust upon her, and then her sister had run away. Uncle and mother would be upset. 
she fell into unconsciousness, uncertain of her future. Uncle Zhao returned home late the next evening. He joined Runt on the terrace overlooking the dirt yards of Beta 733. Good day, little one. Sorry to keep you waiting. Complicated business, complicated business. You miss me? Hi, Uncle Jawa. Got all your bizzo sorted? All my loose ends, tied up. I'm ready to leave. Where's your sister? She's supposed to be here already. Runt dreaded breaking the news about Sprout's decision. She wasn't sure how. Ducking his question, she excitedly beckoned Uncle Jower toward the rotunda to show off her work as keeper. Come see my progress with the pave. Upon entering the rotunda, Uncle Jower noted the change in layout. Very nice, Runt. I like what you've done with the... He didn't finish his sentence. His attention was absorbed by the peeve. In his whole life, it had not looked half as healthy. Its improvement was more than marked. It was magical. Uncle Jower was captivated. Runt, I can't believe how much better it looks. Kid, you're natural. He circled the tank, examining the rejuvenated pea from all sides. This is absolutely tremendous. I did just what you said, explained Runt. And I sang with it. Whatever you're doing, you're going to keep doing it. This changes everything. Runt could see Uncle Jower drilling deeper into thought. Perhaps he wouldn't be so upset about Sprout. Nodding his head as he struck each new layer of thought. Yes, yes, yes. Changes indeed. What kind of changes? Asked Runt. Uncle Jower turned his back to the tank, pacing about with glee. A pernicious grin cracked across his face. After I pawn your sister off to the leg and settle my debts, how about you and I take the pay down to Epsilon and together we open a pilgrimnasium? What about Mother? She'll be fine without us. She can check up with that worm farmer, Mr. Corzo. And if not, she always has the caucus. Runt doubted her perceptions. She thought she must be misunderstanding. Surely he couldn't be brazenly suggesting they abandon their clan. Uncle Jawa, I love my sister and my mother. I do too, said Uncle Jawa, stepping toward Runt. But they're a couple of wowsers. Not like you and me. No. You're wrong. Uncle Jower took another step toward her. The tune of light in the rotunda cooled, casting his clownish face cold like flat stone. It will be better for the both of us, he said. Runt became sure she and Uncle Jower weren't as similar as he thought. You can howl in the choir as much as you want. Hordes will pay to rub this sucker for luck. You're an amazing caper, kid. Good on ya. Runt's ears detected the dry grima of Uncle Jower's calloused palms as he rubbed them together. She looked into his eyes and saw deep wells, circles of green swirling around dark portals to a void within, mind lecherously leering at opportunity. His clownish facade crumbled. Runt turned away from him to hide her disgust, then noticed the peeve's tank. It was empty. Her face flashed concern as she looked all around. The peeve was nowhere to be seen. 
Uncle Jower projected a perverted platitude. If we play by other people's rules, we might never win. It was not the sentiment of a champion. Runt's childhood mental image of her playful uncle was replaced with something much sadder. He had transformed into a pathetic boomer driven by opportunistic self-interest. As shonky as his proposition was, and as wangling as he had revealed himself to be, those were not her immediate concerns. She was surprised to find her priorities were those of a keeper. Jawa! shouted Runt. Urgently, she asked, Where is the pave? Jower wasn't listening. He raised his hands up, continuing to argue his sacrilegious case. Come now, little one. I can't do this without you. He was interrupted by a slurping sound, coinciding with his hand disappearing into the peeve's oxterproglia as it dropped from the ceiling. Its body had taken on the pattern of the intricate mosaic. It had been hiding in plain sight, not invisible, but camouflaged. Oh my god! screamed Jower. Help me! Runt recoiled in horror. Jower's entire arm disappeared within the peeve as its body stretched and slid toward his torso. A terrible muted crunching sound vibrated through the peeve. Jower stumbled backward, then rolled along the round wall, spinning wildly, trying to escape a powerful suction. Before he could yelp again, the fleshy blob advanced. He disappeared with a slimy completely enveloped by the peeve. Uncle Jower was gone, swallowed whole. The volume of his body somehow compressed. The space inside the peeve must exist under great pressure or contain an impossible dimension. The peeve's amorphous protoplasmic mass lopsidedly rolled toward the pedestal at the center of the rotunda. The semi-solid creature vibrated and its skin turned completely black. Then its size decreased as it emitted a sizzling, snapping hiss from within. It emanated an increasingly bright green biofluorescence. Runt's face warmed from the heat coming off it as she watched the thing wobble and glow. The peeve congealed on the floor beside the pedestal, quickly cooling and solidifying into the shapeless form it had been before. With a sudden plop, Jower's championship ring shot out of the oxter proglia and tinkled across the floor into a drainage gutter. The peeve continued to shake and shiver on the floor. Something else then emerged from its only orifice. Runt identified it as an egg, about as large as her head. The metallic blue reflective oval surface shimmered. Runt contemplated running away, but instead found herself compelled to step toward the peeve. Simultaneously filled with terror and relief, she gently picked up the blue egg, then stowed it in a box in the glass tube alcove. She proceeded to lift the peeve off the floor, delicately cradling it in her arms. The weird warmth of the slimy sack soothed her. It felt vulnerable and precious. She was bewildered by the strength of the bond she felt but at peace with an unbounded understanding. She accepted what she instinctively knew to be her responsibility, enwrapped in a harmony of meaning. 
Runt placed the peeve back in its tank, then began petting, and together they sang.